Well, thank you everyone for arriving here today. Even though it's raining, but we're here, we're uh, sending our love to all the mothers in the world. Today I'm going to talk on um, the precept number seven um, in our version of the precepts it goes like this witnessing the elevation or denigration of myself and others by myself and in the world I take up the way of meeting others on equal ground And I'm going to be speaking um, specifically about, um, also um, notice how we word the precepts. So we, there's always, we have the two aspects, the, uh, the witnessing aspect, the compassionate witnessing, where we're able to observe um, these aspects within ourselves and also in the world. And... Um, and also witnessing uh, the way in which we talk about witnessing is the there's the actual witnessing and there's the response that we might make and the response can be inward or outward so we can respond with compassion to ourselves or we can respond to compassion to others other beings and the second aspect of the uh, wording of the precepts is the embodiment of aspiration um, to awake, the aspiration to awake to our, uh, our Buddha mind, our, 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 our true nature. Um, and uh, the aspiration to awake is not the aspiration to awake sometime in the future, the aspiration is to awake to this moment, to recognize that we are awake, that we're always awake until we fall asleep again. So this particular talk on this particular precept today is uh, more on that aspect of responding to ourselves with compassion. And I'm going to be so. Um, I'm going to be focusing on uh, one uh, particular um, part of ourselves, which is fairly uh, shared by most of us, which usually goes by the name of the inner critic. And um, so we'll be, uh, you know exploring and uh, up the, how the inner critic, our own inner critic, operates in our lives and how we can embrace our inner critic with compassion and hopefully through embracing our inner critic with compassion gradually transform it into maybe a kind of inner mentor or inner advisor. Um, so, 
the inner critic uh, pops up every now and again and tends to tell a story about ourselves that focuses on how we never measure up. And uh, if we listen to our inner critic and believe the story it tells, we can get quite influenced and it can affect us directly, can affect our emotions, can affect uh, our self-esteem and it can make us thoroughly miserable. And um, so, for example, you probably all had some point in your life experience the inner critic. It's often a voice that uh, makes its presence felt when they're planning a performance of some kind or after you've done a performance. So it'll often be of the nature of, oh, I'm not going to be good enough. And uh, when we finish the performance, it might be, even if we might have done a good performance, we'll probably still look for where we, you know, we'll be stuffed up somewhere. <laughs> so um, what are the origins? the inner critic. So as, as we've spoken of a lot, so developmentally as a child, um, when we go through the socialization process, um, no matter how well our parents may uh, want to love us unconditionally, there'll be times when we feel criticized by the people in our environment, either at home or at school. And often this will come in the form for children of a little t trauma. In other words, it will be a basic sense of invalidation, non-recognition, sense of rejection. And the emotion which tends to go with that is some sense of shame. What I'll be, I'll be talking a bit more about next week. Um, the, um, there, are, there are three basic um, emotional systems that uh, operate within human beings. Uh, one of them uh, is the threat protection system. And um, so when we are feeling uh, criticized, then that triggers our threat protection system. And, uh, and so from a very, very young age, uh, we develop a, uh, one of the primary forms of self that we develop or the way in which the personality develops is to protect our, our vulnerable self, our child, our inner child. And um, so one of the uh, primary systems, self systems that gets organized is what is often called the protect, protector or controller. And there's a number of um, different aspects to that. So some of us might have a pleaser, some of us may have a perfectionist, and most of us have a, a kind of inner critic of some kind. So the intention of the protective system uh, including the critic, which is part of that, usually at the beginning is to, is well intentioned, the intention is to protect us. So if we've had some experience, some embarrassment or humiliation at school, 
we will, have, we will conclude that in the future, um, in order to avoid that kind of humiliation, embarrassment, um, um, I have to be good at everything I do, or, or try and be as good as I can be. And so often the critic sets very high standards to make sure we do well. But the problem is, over time, the critic may go to extremes uh, to immune ourselves from out external criticism of others by drowning out that, by increasing its severity and intensity, sometimes even to the point, for some people, where it becomes a form of self-hate. And sometimes this self-hate can be performed or acted out in acts of self-abuse. So the inner critic has then has become a much bigger problem than the external or outer critic. And um, the critic can then, um, uh, paradoxically, but originally to, to protect us, uh, inadvertently starts to activate our threat system, our anxiety, uh, by by this internal voice within that starts to trigger our anxiety, so we make ourselves anxious. It's also important to place, like everything, the critic in its historical and social and cultural context. It would be different for people in different cultures at different historical times. But for us, for people in Western cultures, um, the critic likes to, for example, comment on physical appearance. Um, could be our face, our body shape and size, our age. The way in which, how the way in which a beauty is constructed in our culture. And uh, how we're always never measuring up to um, what is meant to be beautiful. So, the critic can certainly um, drive many people to alter the, the body or the face in some ways to, to measure up to what they think is the uh, uh, acceptable or, or beautiful kind of body or face, which is always relative to different cultures and different historical times. Also, in our culture, where we are um, evaluated and measured from school onwards, um, we can become very sensitive to how competent we think we are in whatever kind of performance or job or work we may be doing. And uh, so there's um, the critic, that's another opportunity for the critic to let us know that we're not doing good enough. <clears throat> So in a way, the inner critic almost has made the assumption that we are never good enough at whatever we choose to do. The critic also enjoys comparing us to others. And of course, we're always being compared as being less than <clears throat> uh, people we may know. Other people are always better or more successful than we are, according to our inner critic. The existence of the inner critic is also one of the reasons why the self-improvement industry is so huge. You can notice how large the self-help 
uh, genre has become when you go into a bookshop. Unfortunately, even um, even um, secular versions of Buddhism, such as mindfulness, can inadvertently get caught up in the the self-improvement industry. In fact, we can even develop a kind of spiritual inner critic too in our practice. So, you know, our practice isn't good enough, our zazen isn't good enough, um, my teaching isn't good enough. So, be on the lookout for that as well. The critic also doesn't like us to have too much pleasure, pleasure or fun. Now, don't go overboard with that, neither. <laughs> <laughs> We can give ourselves a hard time for having that second Tim Tam. (laughs) (laughs) Or that third or fourth beard. (laughs) So, um, So, this strategy doesn't serve us very well. Um, In moderation it's okay, but unfortunately the critic tends to sometimes get a little bit too severe. So it can increase our anxiety to the points where it sabotages our ability to do well. It sort of contradicts the purpose of the critic in the first place. So the, the critic, in a sense, is no longer operating to protect us. And it becomes another problem leading to anxiety disorders or depressive disorders. <clears throat> so how do we practice with the inner critic? Well, first we need to be aware and, and differentiated so from the critic to be able to observe how the critic operates. You know, so one of the things that we are always cultivating in our Zazen practice and, and hopefully in our everyday practice is to uh, be able to step back and become the compassionate witness or the compassionate observer Uh, to ourselves and others. So, we want to relate to the critic um, from that compassionately. Um, We don't want to make the mistake of uh, trying to ostracize or discern it like we uh, did with our, um, you know, hurt or ashamed child parts often. Um, so rather we want to revise, to help the critic and uh, revise its relationship with us and help to, the critic to understand what effects it has on ourself. So the four steps of mindfulness practice uh, that the handout I gave last week uh, certainly helps with that. So um, embodying, um, not adding anything on top of that and turning towards the critic with compassion and labeling it when we when we when we notice its presence in our in our consciousness and then returning to embodying again the embodying helps us to uh, return to our compassionate self so um, when we notice the critic arising in our minds we can just simply uh, notice it and say, hello critic, thank you for your advice, but it's okay, I'm, I'm doing all right. You can actually have another little dialogue with it. In fact, another way of transforming the critic is through actually 
um, engaging in a process of what's called voice dialogue or voice dialoguing, something which I do in my therapy practice and uh, something which I might introduce into the Zen practice as well. Um, and so in voice dialogue, you can actually facilitate a dialogue between the critic within ourselves and our compassionate self. And, um, and in this way, we can, uh, we can just gradually help the critic to transform and uh, change its tone and help it to become um, more encouraging, more like a mentor, um, so that we can value it as an advisor, mentor, some kind of coach, for example. We don't want to totally do away with our ability to reflect on ourselves, but um, um, we can work with the critic to help it serve others in the same way as we want to be of service to others. We, we want to make sure that all these different parts of ourself are of service to, to others as well. <clears throat> so um, we've just got a few. We've got a bit of time left. Uh, any any comments or questions um, about that? We can have the the, the side that's sort of the opposite of criticizing, sort of super kind of praising yourself too, can't we, you know, which is also can be damaging, a, like a defensive, I'm better than everybody else, like I've seen that in. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's always that, um, within these different parts of ourselves, there's often this polarity that flips around, so um, we, 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 can, we can quickly maybe uh, shift from this sense of inferiority to trying to, to turn to uh, try to this fragile superiority which is a, you know, a, a, that form of that narcissistic fragility because yeah. sometimes I, I don't when I see it in other people I mean I'm not even looking at myself now but <clears> I kind of judge it rather than see it as a fragility so it's good that you mentioned that it's actually a fragility it helps me be more compassionate yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like everything, um, people who develop those kinds of narcissistic tendencies are uh, often, you know, this is the child that was shamed and or not yeah. attended to or not recognised, yeah. um, coming out in this uh, uh, problematic way. That's very helpful. Yeah. Me and my sons. <laughs> 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 and husband. Yeah. And so on. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, okay, do you have any ideas on how you deal with sometimes the outer critics, which then become just part of, you know, the accepted environment, like, um, for instance, say, work practices and things like that, that are, that are always geared around, uh, you know, always improving whatever you're doing is never really quite good enough, and also, um, you know, even in terms of, of, of how workers are, uh, are often are sometimes perceived like that. I mean, how do you work sometimes with the outer critic as well as with the outer critic? Very, very, very similarly. I mean, to, um, I mean, really, the, the inner and the outer are one. And so 
um, the culture in a work organization, um, the attention uh, that we pay to creating a work culture which is compassionate is just as important as creating an internal uh, culture within ourselves that's compassionate. And um, to create um, you know, processes of acknowledgement and appreciation um, that people can feel safe in so people can grow and develop in a more um, safer kind of work culture. Mm. That, uh, that uh, allows, uh, gives people the freedom to explore and experiment and uh, sometimes things might not work out that well so you reflect on that and it's, um, it's uh, okay uh, to um, not always get it right, you know. Um, so um, if we um, if we don't have this, if we, if, if, you know, if we, if we don't have that safety to um, um, allow ourselves to take those kinds of risks, then you, you know you create a very um, not a very creative kind of work culture, is it? Um, so you know how, how we. I mean, I'm, I'm quite biased because of my work culture has been around you know social work and that kind of thing. So um, you know. Um, you, you, you want your kind of uh, the management or the supervision process to be you know respectful and honoring and uh, in, in, in that way we can create those kind of cultures but they are not always easy to sustain or maintain because you get the um, you know the the power structures coming in and uh, and the um, the, the, the you know <laughs> The forces that are, are that are not concerned about creating a compassionate culture, uh, who are more concerned with bottom, you know, the accountants, you know, the the bean counters, the bottom line, uh, and uh, that can cause a lot of problems. But good, yes, good question. Um, similarly, in our families, you know, like. Um, um, We might, uh, for example, um, you know, if we had a, a mother or a father that was um, has a history of, of with experience being put down or criticised in some way, um, it's an interesting process as to um, how we respond to that, you know, from our compassionate self. Um, you know, the, the courage to actually sometimes um, Try and address that in some way. You know, other times it might be wiser not to, but you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I know if um, if I um, say something which is um, um, if my if my tone of voice or um, um, Takes on or, or or some critical comment that I make make um, say to to my to my wife she'll she'll quickly pull me up on that and 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 uh, and uh, so I think that um, we can um, and part of the sangha as well I mean part of creating a sangha is to try and 
create a, a community of practitioners that are, have that aspiration to to um, to relate to, to our you know we need to, for our practice to to, to embody that um, in every aspect of how we welcome new members to the sangha how we speak to each other and and if someone feels like not recognized or not heard or these things can happen uh, well none of us are perfect sometimes we can unintentionally I could unintentionally as a teacher say or do something which sort of triggers a a reaction in somebody. It's happened a number of times. I uh, encourage you to uh, bring it up with me, uh, and similarly with each other. Because if we don't, if we don't make it visible, it's like with our little parts of ourselves. If they go under the if the surface and we push them away, they create habit. But if we can, we need to bring them to the to be transparent as best we can, and and bring it up into the open and uh, have dialogue about it. Any other comments or questions? It's hard, isn't it, to sometimes get to be authentic and just out there and instantaneous and yet to be kind of respectful. It's kind of, I guess it's just awareness, it just comes with experience. I've offended people just by being super blunt or just like, out there, you know, and um, not meaning to, but um, yeah, it's just a weird, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's, um, I kind of imagine the Zen thing as being like, you know, super respectful. Mm. <laughs> but it's actually not, it's actually a lot of fun, and I like that spider. Like last week, you said you've had fun singing with your wife. I, I thought that was delightful. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can get super serious about my practice. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's if we can encourage, um, um, uh, if we can create a culture of safety and openness, mm. so um, people don't. Suppress um, mm. and uh, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> we'll stop there and. Um